Bridge is an acronym for books recycled to instruct, disciple, guide, and educate. We firmly believe that reading is critical for Christians to grow in their faith, and so we strive to make Bibles and gospel-based Christian books available at very affordable prices. Our purpose is to share the glorious good news of Jesus Christ through written and spoken word. We do this by providing resources and educational opportunities for people to grow in their knowledge of biblical truth so that they are equipped to share that truth with others. You can visit our website at bridgebookstexas.org where you can find our Reformed podcast, Bridge Radio, where we bring on Christian authors, apologists, and scholars such as Dr. James White, Dr. John Frame, Joe Beakey, Jeff Durbin, John Sampson, and Tim Trumpert. You can find Bridge Radio on iTunes, Android, Windows, and Google Play or stream via our website. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15. Welcome back to another episode of Bridge Radio, coming at you from the promised land, the great state of Texas. Texas. Proclaiming the gospel fearlessly and faithfully. I am your host, Tulio Mad Rodriguez. You can call me July, and across from me, I have the man, the myth, the legend, the theologian, Mr. A.W. Varilla. I'm back. No, I don't know about all that myth and legends. I'm just a... <laughs> I'm just a regular dude. You're just a, a, a regular Joe Smoke, I'm man. I'm just a regular Is that Joe. a Chicago accent? Yeah, You're just a regular Chicago. How does, how does a Chicago accent sound? How did you just say we got, you got Chicago. You That's know? how you, you say it? Chicago. I'm from Chicago. Yeah. You know? yeah so, so Abe's I mean, from Chicago. I, I don't have like a real, real deep uh, Chicago accent, but I mean, if he went to Chicago, you would just like, yeah, that guy's from Chicago. You know what, you, <laughs> you know what accent I do like? Which, which one? The Philadelphia accent. The I don't Philly know, accent? The Philly accent, for some reason, hmm. I think it's a really cool accent. I have my friend, his name's Bill, he lives up in Philly, and I like to hear him talk because hmm. I just, especially when, like, he gets real mad. I used to play with him on Xbox Live and stuff. He used to get real triggered on, on, on playing video games. And when he would, like, lose it, his, his accent would come out and it was just hilarious. My wife is from the Philly area. Oh, really? Yeah. She's, so when warm. she gets mad at you, does it come out? I don't know. You know what? I've never even, like, noticed it. I, I, I don't, like, I, to be honest, I just don't know what a Philly accent sounds is, like. Sounds like so. I couldn't do it. I would butcher it. Yeah. We would get emails from Philadelphia yeah, or yeah, listeners, and they'd be like, mm, no, no, don't no. do that again. Yeah, let's not do that. I'll make Allegra mad, yeah. <laughs> and then I'll tell if she yeah, has it or not. No, let's not do that. <laughs> we want to we wanna keep our listener and not run them away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, like I said in the last podcast, for the month of June... Um, we're going to be rolling out our uh, our talks, uh, our speakers, lectures uh, from our apologetics conference. Mm. And uh, we had Steve Paulson, who is a local uh, Christian apologist. He's a school teacher, physics teacher, and we'll be uploading that one next week. We had Eric Hernandez, Matt mm. Slick, Eli Ayala. He's been on the program, and uh, all actually all three of them. But um, yeah. Um, for those who couldn't make it out to the conference, um, so you know we're going to be publishing these for the month of June. Um, I believe we've published Eli Ayala's, which is the uh-huh. support the blah, 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 the support the support. Wow, dude! You're okay, man. Are you okay? The superiority of the Christian worldview. Yeah. Ooh, did you see that nice <laughs> ending? That's a nice ending. Anyway, but um, so with um with that said. This 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 week's episode, we're going to be going through, uh, or we're going to be listening to Eric Hernandez's lecture on the cosmological argument for the existence mm. of God. Now, mm. uh, for me, for me, now I don't say this to disparage any of the other um, talks, but I my favorite by far was Eric Hernandez's uh, lecture and talk on the cosmological argument. I don't know if you would agree. Um, it was it was really good. Uh, yeah. You know, I enjoyed Matt Slick towards the end, just kind of... Uh, uh, he was the went, last talker. Yeah, the last talker, and just kind of... Uh, talker. Yeah. <laughs> this is super weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and just uh, just the evidence of uh, the truthworthiness of the Bible, and yeah. we'll, we'll have that one out here in a uh, 
couple weeks. Soon, soon. soon. A couple weeks. So, uh, but no, yeah. Um, Eric was really. He was solid. He was really solid. I he mean, was good. He, you know, I think the difficult thing is, is that um, these men have a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. uh, and they're trying to get in as much as information as right. they can. You know. Yeah. But I mean, some of these topics, like it gets so engaging, like mm-hmm. you just want to know more. I mean, after the conference, you know, right. we, we sat with uh, Eric a little bit afterwards, and I'm just like, man, there's so much information, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you just can't grasp it all, you know. Right. But. Uh, hopefully these podcasts can, you know, light just a fire in people to just get to know more mm. about apologetics, yeah. uh, you know, and defending yeah. the faith. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's something we're going to talk about real quick before we, we play uh, Eric Hernandez's lecture. But uh, no, I, you know, everybody that I talked to about the conference after had their favorites. Mm. Some people were like, you know, I really love Steve Paulson's. I really like Matt Slick's. Matt Slick's was insane in the membrane and mm-hmm. a lot of people were mind blown with that one. Oh, yeah um a lot of people really really liked eli's talk uh with just with christian worldview that really struck a chord with them that was so, really good too I, pro- yeah i mean i don't even i i think it's really hard to for me it was really pinpoint. hard just yeah. to pinpoint i mean yeah i mean i mean everybody I, did a great job everybody did i mean uh, Steve just set everybody up. I, I love that he set it up. He was mm-hmm. just the guy who set up the pins for everybody, mm-hmm. and everybody just knocked it down with their own yeah. balls. I mean, it was it was just overall really great. So, yeah. Um, and hopefully in the future we'll have more. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. It'd yeah. be cool if we get an – it would be awesome maybe one day here we'll get a apologetics debate with somebody. Oh, I uh, would love that. And record that and, you know, so that would be something very interesting to do. Yeah. I don't know how that can happen, but, you know. Well, Eric actually, on that note, Eric actually, I was talking to David Shepard, who's his Mm. his friend. Um, They've been trying to get a debate with him and it's not... It's one of these famous atheists. I forgot. He just released a book on free will, but the debate would be on on free will. And, uh, yeah, this particular atheist is a hard determinist but that's another subject anyway but yeah there's something like that in the mix to to to, you know for a debate yeah bridges down for anything that's right we do it name it we'll do it yes (laughs) not anything but within the (laughs) within 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 the the budget yeah within Within the the budget within the theology yeah i I pull that one back let's let's reel it in that's a you know um uh, julio you know we're just talking here right now um I, I just want to talk about maybe any books that you would recommend. You know, we're always recommending books on apologetics. Yeah. Uh, if you have any on top of your head, um, again, for our listeners before uh, mm-hmm. um, we we play the the conference. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you're thinking anything or something mm-hmm. where we can yeah. uh, point our listeners to that if mm-hmm. uh, they're looking to learn more about the apologetics. I mean, our, right. some of our guests do have books that they've written. Um you know, yeah. I know Ravi is a big apologist, you know, and right. I, I know that he has He's some good, good material. Yeah, he has some good materials yeah. out there. For for me, a book that really helped me was Greg Bonson's Always Ready. If you don't know who Greg Bonson is, mm. go look it up, covenantalmedia.com, and they have a lot of his lectures. He was an incredible mind, an incredible apologist. Um he would be alive today. He he passed away um, due to heart failure, heart surgery, I believe. But he was just such an incredible mind. Uh, he was a presuppo- presuppositional apologetics mm-hmm. uh, apologist, and um, uh, what, what, one of his books was always ready. The another one was actually a uh, uh, a book titled Presuppositional Apologetics. And there's mm-hmm. one that's a little bit more heavier. It's called Van Til's Apologetics uh, Reading Analysis. It's mm-hmm. more of a textbook. But I have it right here. We're actually looking at it right now. Oh, and yeah. uh, it's just some good stuff. Uh, John Lennox. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just such a plethora of great apologists who are out right now. Uh, Rav, Ravi, you just mentioned. Matt Slick's another guy yeah, who's like, an yeah. incredible apologist. I mean, yeah. the guy's like a Swiss, Swiss army knife. Oh, yeah. Um, he's incredible. I would want to go against uh, Matt. Uh, Matt on a debate. Mm, no. No, no, no. No, no. So, um, anyway, guys, so b- before we we dive... Actually, did you have any book recommendations? You, you... No, I was just thinking. I, I know that there's, uh, there's some really good books out there. Again, we just mentioned Ravi, and he has... Uh, mm, the book, The End of Reason. Uh, you know, he also has the Apologetic Study Bible that we mm-hmm. sell here at Bridge. Uh, I bought one. Uh, Josh McDowell, More Than a Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Uh, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. Uh, Lee Strobel, Things mm-hmm. for Christ. I mean, everybody. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so many books. Uh, Jim, uh, J. Warren Wallace. J. Warren Wallace, yeah. He's great. 
So, and we had him on the um, program twice. Program we need to get twice. him back on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We need to follow up with that. Cause that was just really, I mean, so, um, you know, we like to give book recommendation uh, for that, for us. further for further studies. You yeah, because sometimes we can't get uh, all our questions answered mm-hmm. through these podcasts. And right, you know, I mean, you can send us text messages or yeah. emails or whatever it is. Uh, you know, uh, Facebook Messenger. And, right. Uh, yeah, and give us topics to tackle. That'd yeah, be good. That'd be yeah. That'd be good. So. But, uh, no, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. Anyway, uh, so what I wanted to do before the podcast, if you guys are listening, you're like, oh, I just want to get to the lecture, you can fast forward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can just fast forward. But We're talkers. Yeah, we're, we could go on and on and on. Anyway, but uh, apologetics right now within Christendom, within Christianity, it's like such a, a necessity to to know apologetics from the mm-hmm. Christian perspective. Yeah. Um, I believe atheism has done a great job, especially from the early part of the 2000s and the 90s with the Four Horsemen, Dawkins, Dennett, mm-hmm. Harris, yeah. uh, Christopher Hitchens. Bartman. They really beat Christians into believing that we are somehow delusional, yeah. irrational, yeah. Um, don't use logic. I mean, it's 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 really insane. And this is something that I believed for quite a long time in high school. This was, an, I mean, my hands would sweat when I would listen to a lecture of Dawkins or encounter some of my atheist friends. But um, I just, I encourage our listeners to um, engage in apologetics, you know, dive into this stuff because we're called to it. And this is something that I'm going to talk about right now. So um, just for those who are newer to apologetics, uh, the word apologetics derives from a Greek word, apologia. Um, and it's used eight times in the New Testament. Um most importantly, and a lot of apologists point to this one, which is First Peter three fifteen, which I, which I, I, I just read. And and before I give a definition of what it actually means, let's clarify for what it does not mean. Um, and in something that I encountered here at the bookstore months back was, um, I was helping out some some customers, some guests who were looking for some just Christian material gift, and I was pointing out to our bookshelves, and I was like, oh, here's the Christian living section, the theology section, the children, fiction, and I, I, I pointed to her, and I go, this is the apologetics question, uh, question, uh, bookshelf section, yeah. and she goes, like, are you apologizing for your faith? And I, and I was like, uh, no, 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 and yeah. that's a common misconception with yeah. the term apologist, is yeah. like, okay, are we apologizing for our faith? Are we apologizing for what Christianity has done over the years? Like, what what is this term? Because, it, I mean, come on, apologetics, apologizing, yeah. you would you would think it's some some art form in apologizing, a way to apologize. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's interesting. That's, that's not what it means. So, yeah, so on the contrary, it means to give a defense, more specific a verbal defense, a yeah. reasonable defense, um, as First Peter three fifteen says, for the hope that is in you. And yeah. and since everybody makes a verbal defense, everyone is an apologist, regardless. You know, it, it, it's not whether uh, you do apologetics, but which apologetics do you do? And yeah. and because everyone gives it a, a verbal defense uh, um, for what we believe in. Uh, atheists give a defense for a reason for what they believe. You know, Absolutely. A, a lot of them give are constantly given given a yeah. defense for we're highly evolved bacteria. You know, and and even as as Richard Dawkins famously said that my great grandparents were mm-hmm. once fish. My two hundred million great grandfather was a fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder. I, will, I wonder what kind of fish trout. I know, you know but he says my great great grandfathers were, were, and he defends that. He believes that. He defends it. He's given an mm. apologetic. He's given a verbal, reasonable defense mm. for for what is in. I mean, if you ask, hey Richard, what do you believe in? My two hundred million great grandfather <laughs> was, a, was fish. a fish, and that makes me want to go. What you just said, I love this, is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. <laughs> At no point. In your rambling, incoherent response, were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? <laughs> it's so Everyone intense. in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. <laughs> I award you, you no points, points, and may God have mercy on your soul. soul. That, that, <laughs> anyway, what, what so was the, that clip on? From, it was Billy, Billy Madison, Madison or something yeah, like yeah, that. It was yeah. Billy Madison. Anyway, my two hundred million greats <laughs> grandfather was, was a, a fish. fish. Anyway, so so just to put into perspective, yeah, every everybody's an apologist. Um, yeah. Everybody, no no one no one can avoid it. Everyone's an apologist. I was reading an article the other day that in two thousand seventeen, some flat earthers held a conference 
Mm. And that whole thing, they're doing apologetics. They're giving a reasonable defense of why they believe that the earth is flat. Hmm. You know, and uh, and so and yeah. So with that said, you know, everyone does apologetics, but not everyone is a good apologist. That's right. right. And so, therefore, when we go back and read First Peter three fifteen, all Christians, all Christians are called to engage in a, in, in apologetics for the faith. First, the way I see it is First Peter three fifteen is the Great Commission to give a defense and reason for Christianity, for the Christian faith. Um, and we're not just to be, just supposed to be called apologists, just any apologist. We're supposed to be good apologists. Uh, we are to use reason, logic, yeah. facts, evidence. And as 1 Peter 3.15 says, in our hearts, honor Christ as Lord. Um, and so if we do not know where to begin, first and foremost, Read your Bible. Yeah. Right. That's that's where it all starts for for engaging in apologetics. Read your Bible. And who will use and usually end the podcasts and say they love the Lord with all your what? Heart, mind, and soul. Heart, mind, and soul, right? And well, mine is in there. And mine is in there. We 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 have to uh, learn these things, study God's word so that because it's a battlefield out there, guys. It is. And 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 don't let anybody fool. There are strong yeah. Christian men that are out there defending this mm. very I mean, intelligent men very way. intelligent men who are out there getting at day after day after day defending the faith and they're getting uh um heat just a lot track. of heat and just negative and you know what they're just like hey i'm gonna tell you the truth you know because i'm studying this mm-hmm. i love god you know and these men that came down for our conference, they love God. Mm. And over and over just talking to these men, they're just saying, hey, you know, God has given me a mind. I'm going to use it. Right. 100%. Yep. So. Faculties to work me, worship yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let anybody fool you that there's, there's, there's not Christian people out there who are smart. That are smart. That's not true. <laughs> There's you, brilliant minds. Yeah. You, you, you just look and you will find it. Yes. For sure. Yeah. And, I mean, we've been blown away from just even the guests and people that we encounter oh. here and people, new people that I've encountered yeah. just through Bridge. So Yeah. It's it's great. So, uh, yeah, back back to that point. Read your Bible first and foremost. Know it. Understand it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is another thing. Do not be afraid to ask questions and do not beat yourself up when you start doubting. Yeah. That's all a part of the growing process. Um, you know, truth has no fear to hide from. Yeah. I mean, it's truth's not not scared of anything. And, yeah. and, you know, thy word is truth. This is something that Jesus says. Yeah. You know, the word of God from Bridge, we uh, hold to the infallibility and errancy of Scripture, and we yeah. believe that it is true. Yeah. And uh, and put all it up against, it. yeah, all, all of it. it from the beginning to the end. Yes. Yeah. Not we don't we don't believe some part of it or mm-hmm. a portion of it or yeah. just you know all of it is true. Yeah. It is inspired. Yeah. Um. And just something to point to: study your Bible. Um. Abe just mentioned something that we always quote at the end of the program, mm-hmm. which is, uh, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with mm-hmm. all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind." Luke ten twenty seven. Super important yeah. with your mind, um, and that that's a form of worship as well. Yeah. Sitting down, opening up a book, r- figuring out what you believe and why you believe it, mm-hmm. understanding what you believe, yeah. understanding other perspective of worldviews. Just mm-hmm. don't stick with your own. Go out, go listen to some atheistic lectures, uh, Mormon lectures. Just the other day, I went to go visit a Mormon church. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, that's another story. I just sat down in with a friend, just, hey, and, and understand and engage with them. Go ask questions. Um, you know, be be completely open. Uh, you know, be willing to be vulnerable as well. Well, and mm-hmm. uh, another thing too is um, find a Bible study, find a mature Christian. Matthew twenty eight twenty says, "Teach these disi- these new disciples to obey all that I have commanded you, and be sure of this: I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Mm-hmm. And there are mature Christians within your community um, here at Bridge. If you're here in Laredo or in the you know in, in our community, um, we're willing to disciple and come alongside you and get you material and get you engaged in a Bible study. Find a church that has a really good Bible study and. And uh, and I, I just wanted to talk about this before we go into you know Eric Hernandez's lecture because uh, you know it's a it's a deep topic and I think when you listen to it you're going to be quite intrigued quite um, uh, your eyes are going to open you're gonna be like whoa I probably have never heard a Christian like this talk this fast <laughs> oh yeah this, uh, he talks incredibly fast yeah um, another thing guys if you're listening uh, there the a lot of these um, lectures were very PowerPoint driven. They're up on YouTube, so you can go watch them. Yeah. Um, so th- just to point that out. But um, but anyway, yeah, there's just something I kind of wanted to talk to at the awesome. very beginning. So um, 
I don't know if you had anything to say. If not, no, we can bounce it. out and yeah. we can just uh, shut up and let our listeners go. Yeah, let's. Uh, yeah, I don't want to stay on too long. Everybody enjoy. Yeah, enjoy. Uh, enjoy Eric Hernandez. And uh, again, thank you for all our listeners. I do yes. want to say thank you. I appreciate thank it. Thank you for all your support. Again, this conference was put on because our listeners are supporters. Yes. And we just want to say thank you. I'll never stop saying that. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you. And, yes. And to glory be to God. Alone. 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 All right, guys. Well, uh, next week, we'll probably have a little uh, quick discussion. But uh, other than that, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we will see you next week. Peace out. Later. All right. Thank you guys for being here. Um, Well, let me make sure I know how this works. I don't. Praise God. Isn't God good? Look at that. All right, so uh, thank you guys for being here. I don't want to spend too much time on introduction or anything like that. You want to know more about me, you can ask me later or anything. Um, look it up. I mean, there, well, there are some articles that say some nasty things about me online, so don't look up everything. Um, uh, so, yeah, let, let's go ahead and get started really quick. I want to open up with a Bible verse. If you have your Bibles or your smartphones, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and, you know, I want to reiterate, you know, he said what apologetics is, is giving a defense for your faith. So, remember, apologetics isn't apologizing for being a Christian. It's making the atheist apologize for not being a Christian. And that's, you can do that. You want to thank you. Too tough crowd this morning. All right. <clears throat> so, Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste or its purpose, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and walked on by people when the walkways are wet and slippery. Uh, let's pray really quick. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll move in this place. You'll take control of my tongue, my jaw, my lips, and let it be all of you and none of me. I pray that this would not simply be information, Lord, but let it be a revelation, Lord. Let there be an impartation of, of your word, of your insight, of who you are, Father God, and let there be application to this to our lives. In your precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Anybody here heard of Richard Dawkins? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay, a few people. Uh, very, very nasty atheist. Uh, uh, by, you know, I mean, by nasty, I don't mean like, you know, he's, well, let me read you a quote. Let's do that. He wrote a book called The God Illusion, which my brother Steve referred to earlier. Here's what he says. With the verse that we just read in mind, he says, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. He is jealous and proud of it. He is a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capricious, malevolent bully. What do you think? How does it make you feel? What's your response? So, if you're angry, good. But my question is now, what do you do with this anger? Referring back to the verse I read, it says that we're all, we are the salt of the earth. Now, in biblical times, they didn't have refrigerators, right? So what they would use, what they would do is they would use salt to preserve meat, correct? So what the Bible says is that when it's lost its flavor, it, it lost its purpose, its reason for, for doing what it does when we use it for meat, to preserve meat. So the question I have for you today is this. Well, I have a lot of questions for you, but the first one is, if salt was a way to preserve meat, and if you keep applying the same salt to meat, and the meat keeps going bad, after a while you have to stop asking what's wrong with the meat, and you have to start asking yourself what's wrong with the salt. If you have men like this writing books and saying these things about the God that you and I worship, after a while you have to stop blaming the world, and you have to start looking at the salt. Now, if we're the hand of God on the earth, and we're called to do this, and if apologetics which is a whole other class uh, I have available on why we need apologetics, then after a while we can't say, well, we're just in a corrupt world and that's what, just what's going to happen. When, when I read in my Bible, it says that we were created here to have dominion over everything and that we're in charge. In fact, this is our earth. Excuse me, you're taking up the space. This is not yours. I heard a joke once of a scientist going to God and saying, I don't need you to create life. God says, really? He says, yeah. God says, could you show me? He goes, absolutely. So he grabs you know, some stuff. He grabs the dirt. He goes to the lab. God says, whoa, whoa, time out, time, time out. Get your, get your own dirt. <laughs> if we're the salt of the earth, then what's going on? Are you the salt of the earth? What have you been doing as salt of the earth? Now, I, I like to use the example. Imagine you're in a taxi cab and you have about, let's say, uh, five minutes with someone. And they give you a quote kind of like what I just read. 
What do you tell them? What could you say? What kind of... What could you give them to chew on or to think about? Now, granted, as Hillary said, I've done a lot of public debates. Um, there hasn't been one time where in the debate my opponent falls to his knees and gives his life to Christ. That would be great. But first and foremost, well, why do you do them? Because I like to argue? No. And if you tell me that, I'll, I'll argue with you about why that's not true. <laughs> my main audience when I do these public debates are, excuse me, my main yeah, goal is the audience listening. Because you have people coming with sincere questions. But what I love about Christianity and about specifically what Christ did is when you see that when Thomas was doubting, we call him Doubting Thomas, right? And much like Christians, you have one fall and everybody labels you from that, right? right? So uh, Doubting Thomas had one doubt, now he's Doubting Thomas. You know, well, what are you? What's your one fall? <laughs> one, here's a list, right? He told Christ, I won't believe unless I see the nail prints in hand. What did Jesus say? You idiot, you dumb Christian, you don't have faith, what the heck's your problem? He said, no, okay, here it is. Touch it. If that's what you need, by all means. If an atheist comes to you with questions and say, you know what, and whether they're sincere or not is irrelevant at this point, because if the Bible says, as Julio read, to give an answer, then what are you showing them? That being said, you're in a taxi cab, what do you say? Just chew on that for a second. Here's my, I have a few questions just as a point of reflection. First question is, why are you a Christian? Second question, why should someone else be a Christian? For me, the answer to those two questions are the same. And I think you'll need one answer. Because it's true. Why do I believe that water is H2O? Because it's true. Is it because I sing uh, songs about H2O every Sunday morning and I listen to KSB H2O? You might not have it here in Laredo, it's in Houston. Uh, is it because you read lots of books about H2O? Because it makes you feel good, it makes you a better husband or father? Or is it because it's true? Why am I, now, does, does God give me great feelings? Absolutely. But is that why I'm a Christian? No, because it's true. Why should someone else be a Christian? Because it's true. It's really that simple. Why, well, why aren't you a Muslim? Well, is, is Islam uh, Christianity? No, then it's not true. Well, what if this, what if that? Okay, if I give you a math test, 2 plus 2 equals 4. What if I say 3.9? No. Okay, what if I say 4.1? No. Oh, so there's one answer when there's truth, right? Yeah, okay. So if it's not this answer, then by default everything else can't be true. What do you think the biggest threat to Christianity is then? I'm, I'm, this, there, I'm going through a lot of content just to get to somewhere. I submit to you that the biggest threat to Christianity are actually not atheists. They're not scientists. The greatest commandment that I love, the, the verse I love to use when I talk about apologetics. Everyone uses 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to give an answer, a defense for the hope that's in you. I love that verse. But the verse I also like to turn to is when Christ was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your mind your heart, your soul, your strength, right? Well, with all your heart. I think we do a great job at that as a modern-day American society church. We love God with our emotions. And it's just to love God with our strength. I, did, I think we do a pretty good job at that too, right? We, 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 do, we participate in the bake sales at church. We, we, we get the chairs and we fold them when they're needed to. But then there's loving God with a mind. And if I can say this amongst brethren, I think the church has done a horrible job at this lately. Hence, you have men like Richard Dawkins writing these books, and you have the church sitting within their four walls and doing nothing, and if we're the salt of the earth. So if we are to love God with our mind, that word mind literally means your intellect, your way of understanding. So if I am to love God, whether I'm picking up my hands or picking up a book, these are both signs of adoration to the God that I worship. So I submit to you, what is the biggest threat to Christianity? Not scientists, not atheists, but intellectually lazy Christians. I hope you wore your stilt-toed boots this morning. Now, what I hear all the time, I want to get into something now. Here are a few things. Could you hand me the water bottle, please? Thank you very much. Now, I want to give you a few arguments that you could perhaps rehearse in a matter of seconds, maybe a minute, two minutes tops, that you can share with someone for the hope that is in you, for why you believe what you do. We read, what I hear all the time from atheists is there is no evidence for God's existence. Is there evidence for God's existence? Uh, I asked one lady, why are you an atheist? She said, well, there's, there's so many reasons. I said, just give me one. She said, well, there's, there's just too many to name. I said, I, I, just want, I just want one. She said, well, there's no evidence for God's existence. I said, oh, really? I said, well, that's funny because that doesn't really sound like a positive reason that's 
sounds more like a negative reason. I want a positive reason. She goes, what do you mean? I said, well, there's no evidence that there's a flea in this room, but it doesn't follow that therefore there is no flea. So I, I can see what you're saying, but even your lack of evidence or your ignorance of the evidence doesn't prove that therefore there's no God. Could you give me a positive reason for why you're an atheist? So, well, you know, I believe in science and in psychology. And I said, oh, well, now you're just naming disciplines. I believe in those things too. How would that prove there's no God? And, and, and she kept going for a little bit, and I kept saying, well, that doesn't, you know, oh, well, something like, okay, well, I think some churches just want you for your money. I said, yeah, that's true. And some, some Christians are just hypocritical. They're jerks. I said, yeah, that's true. I said, but, you know, my friend David, he's kind of a jerk sometimes, but he exists, so I don't see how, you know, that's, how, how would that prove? And I said, uh, and she's like, and she, she was going to leave soon. This is all in about five, ten minutes. I said, do you mind if I give you, you know, can, I, can, I, can we switch roles? Maybe I can tell you why I'm a Christian or why I believe God exists. Sure. I want to give you a few of those things today. They say there's no evidence for God's existence, but that's actually not what Scripture teaches. <clears throat> when we read in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it states that ever since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through His workmanship, all His creation, the wonderful things that He has made, so that they who fail to believe and trust in Him are without excuse and without defense. Now, interestingly, it says His invisible attributes are clearly seen through what? The things that are made. So how do you see something invisible, right? Well, when you look at creation, the also scripture says that the creation of the world declares the glory of God, that the heavens declare the glory of God. Let's talk then, therefore, about the universe. We exist, correct? I mean, I exist, you exist. But the question which Leibniz asked, who was a philosopher, who said the first question which should rightly be asked is, why is there something rather than nothing? Now, to understand where Leibniz was coming from, you have to understand uh, two things that exist. There are, there are thing, everything that exists is either necessary or what's called contingent. Now, necessity means if something is, exists necessarily, then it's something that exists and that cannot fail to exist. Its existence is, its non-existence is logically impossible. We'll go a little bit deeper in a second. Something that's contingent would be the opposite. It's something that does not have to exist. It could have failed to exist. And its existence would depend on something else for its existence. So, really quick, I exist, but I am what you call contingent. I did not have to exist. Had my parents not met, had they consummated the marriage on a different day, I wouldn't be here. You are contingent. Therefore, you're not necessary. Now, contrast that with something that's necessary like, could you imagine a world in which the number two was not even? Well, no, because that's what it means to be the number two. It's, it's a necessary attribute of the number two to be even. So there is no possible world that God could create in which the number two is not even. It, it doesn't even make sense. It's like asking, um, can you get a triangle with four points? No, because tri means three. You, you add a point, it's no longer a triangle. So there are some things that are necessary, and if they exist, it could not have failed to exist and would exist in every possible world. You still with me? Two people, thank you. So, <laughs> I'm contingent. I'm not necessary. Now, what Leibniz was getting at, once you understand these distinctions, is here's an example. Let's suppose that you have person A, and he comes to person B and says, I need to borrow some, uh, well, actually, you know, you, uh, I need to borrow some money. You have any money? You know, you're a good friend I can trust. You have any money? And person B says, you know what, I don't, but I can write you a check. But I don't have the money in my bank account right now, so don't deposit it till tomorrow. But I have a friend who owes me money, and he's going to give it to me tonight. So if you wait till tomorrow, here's a $5 check, cash it tomorrow. He says, great, sure, no problem. Then person B is like, well, now I need the money. So person B goes to person C and says, hey, you know that five bucks you owe me? I really need that. I, I, I'm going to let person A borrow some money. He goes, you know, do you have it? And person C says, well, you know what? Same story. I, I don't have it not till tomorrow, but I'll get it tonight. So he writes him a check. And then person C now needs to get the money for the check he wrote for person B who wrote for person A. But then person B goes to person D, same thing happens, person D goes to person E, and what you begin to see here is that there's a problem. If you keep borrowing and there's no one who has it, then you are spending what you don't have, which you can't do, unless you're my wife and you have a credit card, but, well, can you edit that out? I don't want it. Yeah. So, in order to get something, the problem is that everybody here is what Dr. Moreland calls a borrowing lender. You borrow to lend. And if all you have is borrowing lenders, you will never get the money. But suppose that when I go to the bank, person A goes to the bank tomorrow, they're a little nervous, they go up to the cashier, they give them the check, and all things being equal, she says, okay, here's your five bucks, it was there. 
What does that imply? What does that show us? It teaches us that somewhere down the line, you, you ended up with borrowing lenders and eventually arrived to what you would call an owning lender, that is someone who had the money and did not borrow from someone else. Because if all you're doing is borrowing, you'll never get the money. Until you reach someone, we can call them person Z, who had the money and did not borrow it from someone previous. Now, you cannot give or lend what you do not already have. So with this in mind, let's go back to Leibniz's question. Why is there something rather than nothing? And what Leibniz said was everything that exists will have an explanation for its existence. And that explanation will lie in either something necessary or contingent. You still with me? So, I want you to think, why do you exist? <laughs> Let's talk about existence itself. I exist, but my existence is contingent. So where did I come from? Well, I borrowed existence from my parents, as did you. But what's the problem with that? Well, they were contingent also. So if you explain something contingent by something else contingent, all you have done is push back the goalposts, and now you need to explain their contingent existence. You with me? Now, where did they get their existence from? Well, their parents. And then where did they get their ex existence from? From their parents. And much like the check analogy, you eventually, if I exist, then it means that somewhere down the line, I had to arrive at something that was necessary, because in order to explain something contingent, you need something necessary. And if you look at what this necessity would entail, if we're talking about existence, then you're going to need something that has always existed, something that is self-existent, and whose non-existence is logically impossible, and I give you God. Dr. Moreland said, if God did not exist, then nothing would exist because everything owes its existence to God in one way or another. You know, the funny thing is, is if atheists exist, God exists. If you exist, God exists. If nothing existed, God would still exist. Why? Because something that necessary cannot fail to exist. So even if he created nothing, he would still exist necessarily. Yeah, I call him dead. Now, the atheists can come back and say, well, no, time out. No, we don't have to stop at God. He doesn't have to be the necessary thing. Why not? Because the universe, ah, the universe is a stopping point. That's where we got our existence. Because if the universe weren't here, we can't be here. Therefore, the universe is the necessary stopping point, which explains everything else. Okay. But here's the problem. Is the universe necessary or contingent? Well, let's find out. Is it the universe's non-existence logically impossible, like the number two being even? Well, no, it's not logically impossible. In fact, we'll get to this in a little bit, so it's not logically impossible. We can, we can conceive of a world in which there was no universe. Or at least not this universe. Could have been a different universe. So this universe is not necessary. Um, did it have to exist? Well, no, again, it, we can conceive a world in which a different kind of universe existed. So it's not that. Is it eternal? Well, that depends. Did it have a beginning? Because if it had a beginning, then it can't be eternal. And if it's not eternal, then it can't be necessary which we're going to get to in a little bit. So let's assume for now it had a beginning, and therefore it's not eternal. If it's not eternal, it's not necessary, and therefore it's contingent. Which means all the atheist has done was skip my slide. Um, all the atheist has done was go from contingent, 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 and then put the universe in, which is also contingent, and then you still need God. So this was actually Leibniz's cosmological argument for the existence of God which is in a syllogistic format, which is basically a list of sentences or premises that lead to a conclusion. One, everything contingent thing has an explanation of its existence. If the universe has an explanation of its existence, then that explanation is in a transcendent being, namely God. Well, if the universe is a contingent thing, therefore, by default, a logically deductive argument leads to a necessary conclusion that therefore the explanation of the universe is God. Not bad, right? Imagine that. A God who you can show who is the Logos because in the beginning was the Logos and when we look at logic we're looking at a reflection of God's nature and when you use this you see God in His creation. Hence, the creation of the world declares His glory. See, that's the slide the atheist took from me earlier. It was out of place. That's what happens. So, what we have from this argument alone and I'm going to get to my second one in just a little bit. So far... Here's what we get from his argument, is we have a now, the evidence and proof from logic 
of a logically necessary, self-existent, non-contingent, eternal being whose non-existence is logically impossible and is the foundation, explanation, and reason for which anything at all exists, namely the universe and everything in it. So if you exist, God exists. If the atheist exists, God exists. If the universe exists, God exists. And everything owes its existence to God in one way or another. And God's existence is logically impossible. God. So, next argument I want to go through is an argument um, popularized by Dr. William Lane Craig. Has anybody ever heard of Dr. William Lane Craig? Few people. Um, very awesome guy. And uh, I don't, that's embarrassing. I don't know how I got, got there. Um, incredible guy, uh, has a great podcast, incredibly smart. Yes, I'm going to shamelessly name drop, pray for me. Uh, I, one of my debates I did, he actually featured on his podcast, which I was really, I, I was like, wow. Um, very honored uh, to, to be on there. He has what's called the Kalam cosmological argument. Don't worry about the big words, just get the gist of it. And it also has premises that lead to the conclusion, this is again a syllogism. He says, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Okay. The universe began to exist, therefore, the universe has a cause. Now, I've shared this argument in about 30 seconds or less with someone. I, I mean, you can do it in an elevator, in a taxi cab. If you're in the bathroom and you know, they're taking their time, hey, you got them. They can't go anywhere. You, you, you get that witness in there. So, if we want to know about if this conclusion is, if this argument is true, then you have, therefore, the existence of a cause to the universe. Now, in order to get a little bit deeper, we have to know what this cause was like. And we can do that easily by knowing what began when the universe began. And here's what we have. We have, when the universe began, you had three things come into existence that had not existed prior to it. Namely time, space, and matter. Which is to say, if there were no universe, or without the universe, there was no time, no space, and no matter. You with me? Which means, by default, whatever caused the universe to exist was, was the cause of time, space, and matter. Which means that the cause of the universe was therefore timeless, spaceless, and immaterial. Why? Well, because if everything begins to exist and this cause caused time, space, and matter, then it must be timeless, spaceless, and immaterial. Because you cannot cause what you are already in. You have to be outside of what you cause. You don't find the guy who created the computer inside the computer running things. So if the universe began to exist from this argument, we already have a timeless, spaceless, immaterial being, and we can go a step further. Why? Well, because if this being, this first cause, created something out of nothing, then you have an unimaginably powerful entity that could do this in the first place. And given that this universe was not necessary, it would follow that this being made a free decision to create the universe, so now this being must be personal. Why? Because this being had a will with freedom of the will, who made a decision, and the wills come from a mind, and minds are in persons, and therefore now you have a personal being. And now you have a timeless, spaceless, immaterial, unimaginably powerful, personal being. We have God. So if the universe exists, God exists. If the universe had a beginning, God exists. You can share this in 30 seconds or less with atheist, and here is the what do you need? If the Bible tells us to give a reason for the hope that's in us, then we are to give reasons. If we are to love God with all our mind, we are to give these arguments and evidences. In fact, I dare say, biblically speaking, if you want to be effective in spiritual warfare, when I was growing up, I was told that spiritual warfare encompassed casting out demons and praying for the sick and this and that, which it does, and you know, some may disagree. But when we read scripture, the Bible says that our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. What's a stronghold? The Bible defines it in the next verse. So that a stronghold is any thought, idea, speculation, or ideology that goes against the knowledge of God. What do we do with them? The Bible says you tear them down. How do you tear down an argument, a stronghold, an idea, a philosophy, an ideology? Apologetics. So if spiritual warfare, biblically speaking, is telling you to destroy arguments and evidence that go against the knowledge of God, alleged evidence, philosophies, then you have to know how to engage. But Eric, didn't Paul say, don't be deceived by, by, by philosophy of men, by empty vain philosophy? Yes, he did. He said, don't be deceived by vain philosophy. What is the best way to avoid bad philosophy? To know good philosophy. What might an atheist say at this point? 
Well, let's look at the first premise. Let's go premise by premise. First premise is everything that begins to exist has a cause. This would basically mean that you cannot get something from nothing. It means that you cannot get being from non-being, but hold on, hold the phone, Lawrence Krauss says otherwise. Who actually wrote a book called A Universe from Nothing. He's an atheist and a physicist, and he says, you want to know why is there something rather than nothing? I wrote a book about it. You're in luck. Let's give it a shot. Let's hear what he has to say. So he says, there's plenty of... The power, the, the, Satan messed that up. It was, it was in order earlier. <laughs> says there's a plausible case for understanding precisely how a universe full of stuff, like the universe we live in, could result literally from nothing by natural processes. Okay, it sounds a little weird, but I'm not a physicist, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know, maybe smarter than I am. Well, let's see what he has to say. He says, in particular, nothing is unstable. Come again? <laughs> nothing can create something all the time due to the laws of quantum mechanics and... The atheist messed up my thing again. It says under there, and it's fascinating. Okay. Basically, here's the argument in a nutshell. And I, I hear this all the time from atheists. They say, well, look, in quantum mechanics, and whenever an atheist says in quantum mechanics, they're pulling out the, like, desperate card. You know, it's, it's like one of those go-to things. You mention quantum mechanics, and, you know, you win the argument. They say in quantum mechanics, there are subatomic particles that pop in and out of existence, uncaused out of nothing. And if these subatomic particles can do this, then why not the universe? Which means we don't need God. Universe was created from nothing. Well, okay, fair enough, maybe, but I'm really curious about something. What do you mean by nothing? Well, let's ask Lawrence Krauss. By nothing, I don't mean nothing. I mean nothing. <laughs> Deep thinker, that Lawrence Krauss. Okay. Uh... I don't think it means what you think it means. What do you mean by nothing? Well, here's the funny thing. Is that he actually, in his book and in his talks, he has said, well, nothing is unstable. Nothing has weight. Nothing obeys the laws of physics. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Because if you asked me, what did you eat for lunch? And I said, nothing. You say, oh, what did it taste like? <laughs> you get two or one. Was it like a two for one deal? Like a, you know, yeah, nine dollar menu? Nothing, right? Did it fill you up? Well, no, no, no. By nothing, I mean the absence of everything. But if by nothing you mean something that has weight, that has physical dimensions and structure, you're not talking about nothing. And as, as uh, um, Shakespeare said, even if you call a rose a different name, it still smells just as sweet. By nothing, what do they mean? They mean a quantum vacuum, a sea of fluctuating energy. You don't really need to know what exactly that is. All you need to know is that what you're saying nothing is, is not nothing. It's something, and you have not proved that, nothing, that something can come from nothing. In fact... His book, A Universe from Nothing, is really not accurate. He really should have said it's a universe from something. Now, don't take my word for it. A, an atheist, not a Christian, who is a philosopher and also does physics, critiqued him and said this guy, doesn't, he's dead wrong. Not a Christian. Says he's dead wrong. Why? Because when he says nothing comes, something comes from nothing, he's talking about the sea of fluctuating energy. It's the equivalent of saying that my... Fist can pop out of nothing when I rearrange my fingers and look, no fist, ha. Look, watch, you want to see it again? Fist. No fist. Why is that nothing? Because there were no fists before, now there is, so that's nothing. He says, no, I'm sorry, no, you, you, you're dead wrong. Saying that subatomic particles come from nothing, as Dr. Craig says, if you think you can get something from nothing, then it's worse than magic. Which is funny because the atheists say that I believe in magic and fairy tales. Excuse me. See, in magic, you at least have a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat. You at least have a hat. On atheism, you don't even have a hat. You don't even have a magician. You just have, boom, something. And you say, I'm the brainwashed one. So, so far, no rebuttal to everything that exists has a cause. What about the second one? The universe began to exist. Well, let's take a look at that. The atheists will say, no, the universe has not begun to exist. The universe is eternal. And if it's eternal, it didn't have a beginning. And if it didn't have a beginning, don't need God. Now, if, even, if, even if that were the case, they say, well, what about the first argument, cosmological argument from contingency? I like what William Lane Craig once said in a debate. He was asked, if your opponent had disproved every one of your arguments, would you stop being a Christian? He said, no. He said, why? He goes, because i got other arguments. Um, scientific response. 
the universe is expanding. When you look at modern cosmology, we actually know that the universe had a beginning because as it expands, when you trace it back, we come to what's called a singularity, which was the beginning point. So the expansion of the universe itself is proof that the universe had a beginning. To move on, the universe is running out of usable energy. Think of gas in a car. If you fill up your gas tank and you wake up the next morning and you drive it and then you go the next morning and the next morning you drive it, then you'll be like me where you wait till it's like really on the red and you really need it and you stop because, you know, it's like $5 a gallon. So if you drive your car for a certain amount of time after filling up, you're going to have to do what? Refill because you don't have infinite amount of energy. And if the universe is running out of usable energy, then it cannot be eternal because if it was eternal, it would have run out of energy by now. Well, guess what? We're still here. The universe is still spinning. It's still working. We still have a sun, which means there's still usable energy, which means the universe had a beginning. And actually, as my brother Steve alluded to earlier, we didn't talk or take notes with each other. As someone once said, the universe is slowly running out of usable energy, then it is slowly winding down, and if the universe is winding down, then someone must have wound it up. You don't spin a quarter on a table and expect it to spin forever. It's going to stop because it runs out of energy. If the universe is running out of energy, then it had to have a beginning. It can't be eternal because it would have run out by now. Now, the beginning of the universe is often called the Big Bang. And I don't want you to, to say, oh, you know, give, you, give the crosses at that. Call it what you want. But here's something interesting. The term Big Bang was actually phrased by an atheist astronomer, Fred Hoyle. But the funny thing is, this was not his theory. The beginning of the universe was not his theory. It was actually a theory. Guess who came up with it? A Christian scientist, astronomer, and professor of physics, George Lemaitre. I probably pronounced that wrong. And it was his theory that the universe had a beginning, and he actually had the evidence to back it up. So why then would an atheist coin the term Big Bang if it was not his theory? Well, the funny thing is, I, I think this is best summed up in one of his friends, John Maddox, who was an atheist and scientist writer, who said, we should not believe in this Big Bang theory because it gives too much leverage and ample justification to the creationists. Now here's something very ironic. I hear atheists all the time saying, you Christians are trying to stop science and say, excuse me, sweetheart, you know we're the ones that started it. Uh, excuse me, do you remember what, uh, you, you know the term Big Bang? Yeah, guess, guess who came up with that? Yeah, not an atheist. In fact, what you have in this time period, you have atheists fighting and resisting modern cosmology and science. Why? Not because of the evidence, not because of what they had to prove in front of them, but because of in the beginning. And if the Bible got the first part right, what else would it get right? You have atheists fighting scientific advancement because it gives too much leverage to the Christians. Oh, Johnny, Johnny. Philosophical response. You cannot cross infinity. If the universe is eternal, then think of a, a line of dominoes. And suppose today is the first domino. In order for this domino to get here, you had to have passed a domino before that, correct? So if today's here because yesterday ended... Right. Well, in order for yesterday to have gotten there, you had to have the day before that end and the day before that. And what happens is if you have an infinitely long amount of dominoes, you'll never arrive to today. But guess what? We're here, which means there was a beginning and it's not past eternal. Let, let, let's think of it like this. If I asked you how many numbers does it take to count to infinity, what would you say? How many does it take? You, you can never get there, right? If you counted for millions and millions of years, you'd still never reach infinity because it's impossible. It's a concept that you cannot reach. You cannot cross infinity. Why? Because if you try to count to infinity, it's like trying to jump out of a well that is infinitely tall. You can't do it. But the problem is, is if I cannot count to infinity, then imagine today is zero and yesterday was negative one. Well, guess what happened before negative one? Negative two. But if it's infinite, then we wouldn't be here at the first domino, or zero, the number one. So trying to count to infinity is impossible, like jumping out of a whale that's infinitely tall, but it gets worse. If you cannot count to infinity, then you cannot count from infinity, and now you're trying to jump out of an infinitely tall whale that is bottomless. Not only could you not do it, you cannot even get started. Game over. Which means, if we are here today and today has arrived, then the universe is not past eternal. It had a beginning because you cannot cross infinity. 
Now, last objection, which I, in my opinion, is the worst objection. If everything that begins to exist has a cause, then what caused God? Anybody heard this before? Where did God come from? Who caused God? Well, quite honestly, guys, if they ask you this, it's over. You're done. Go home. Nothing you can do about it. We're doomed. Checkmate. That's it. That's it. No, honestly, I think this is one of the worst objections ever. Because, first of all, it fails to grasp the argument, which most atheists do, and it fails to grasp the concept of God. Why? Because if everything that begins to exist has a cause, and what caused God will note the argument is everything that begins to exist. Right? Well, if God created time, if, if the universe had time, and the cause was timeless basis and material, then God would be the cause of the universe. And if God is the cause of the universe, and if the cause is timeless, then by default, God is timeless. And if God is timeless, then God is eternal. And if God is eternal, then something that's eternal does not have a beginning. And if it did not have a beginning, then it had no cause. And if it did not have a cause, then it was uncaused. So to ask what caused the uncaused thing is to ask, who's the bachelor married to? Well, well he's, not, he's not married. I know that, but who's he married to? Well, no, he's a bachelor. That means he's single. Well, I know that, but who's he married to? Okay. So if God is an uncaused, eternal, necessary, self-existent being, then you cannot ask what caused the beginning of a beginningless, uncaused cause. We also, this is also known as God as the first cause. And if someone says, well, if God's the first cause, what caused him? Now, okay, excuse, let, let's try this again slow. If God is the first cause, then there can't be anything prior. Well, what caused him? Okay, if you're saying what caused him, then he's not the first anymore. He's the second, right? Right, okay, so skip that one and go to the first. That's God. Okay, well, what caused him? Okay, let's try this again. First does not mean anything prior. So to ask what caused the uncaused cause is to fail to grasp the argument. It's a logical contradiction. It's like asking how many women is the bachelor married to. Well, he's, he's single by definition. So from these arguments, what do we have? We have a logically necessary, self-existent, non-contingent, eternal, timeless, beginningless, immaterial, uncaused, unimaginably powerful, transcendent, personal being, God. I don't know about you this morning, but I have the privilege of calling him Father. And I would love for you to have that privilege too. Do we have evidence for God's existence? You could even argue, do we need evidence for God's existence? Well, I take God, the belief in God is a probably basic belief. But setting that aside, the Bible tells us to give an answer, a response to anyone who asks for the hope that is in you. Do you have a response? Are you the salt of the earth? Do we have reasons? When I was uh, uh, my freshman year of college, I took my first philosophy class as kind of a blow-off class. I wanted to just kind of, you know, maybe something I could skip every now and then. Turns out my professor was an atheist. He, uh, he, had, he had some really interesting things to say. Um, now, when I was in, in growing up in, in my youth group, my youth pastor says, you know, if someone tells you, prove to me God exists, just say, well, prove to me he doesn't. And I thought, that's all. I'm going to put that in my pocket. I'm going to use that. I get to my, which is a fair question to ask if they say there is no God. But personally speaking, on your own reflection, I remember my, one of my first days in that philosophy class, he talked about what's called the burden of proof. Anybody familiar with that term? So in philosophy or in general, anytime you make a truth claim, you have to bear the burden of what you said. You have to prove what you said is true if you make a truth claim. So my professor said, so if you say something like, right, your random thought, God exists, then you have to bear the burden to prove that. And you cannot ask the person asking you, prove to me he doesn't, because you're not bearing the burden of proof. And I felt like my whole thing just collapsed. Now, I also learned, though, that if the atheist says there is no God, that too is a positive claim, and therefore he must also bear the burden of proof. Nevertheless, the Bible says, if someone asks you for the hope that's in you, Give an answer. Give a defense. Uh, you want to know more about us? Please, erichernandezministries.com. You can visit on Facebook, YouTube. Um, with the time I have left, Danny in the back, could you wave your hand, Danny? Awesome guy. He's single ladies also. Um, <clears throat> we brought some material with us. Um, a few things I want to mention really quick. If you're, you want to know more about this, I go a little bit more in depth into this in some of the CDs I have. Um, Introduction to Apologetics, uh, Common Objections to Christianity. We talk a little bit more about what caused God. Talk about things like the, uh, the destruction of the Canaanites. You know, an atheist will say, well, if God exists, look at all these nasty things that he did. Um, a few other things that we have is uh, an apologetics course, which is 
about 10 hours plus of uh, material that we have with about over 50 pages. It's kind of like at a college level pace. We talk about a lot of things, including more arguments, things of that nature. Um, I have a few debates with me. One of my favorite is one with a gentleman named David Smalley, who um, Julio mentioned earlier. Uh, I'm in the process of writing a book. Keep me in your prayers, please. It's very frustrating at times. The title of my book is Why I'm Not an Atheist. The subtitle is what's Why I'm Not an Atheist. It's an analysis of the logically inconsistent, philosophically incoherent, unjustified, self-defeating atheist worldview. You know, but I'll tell you what I really think later. Um, and he invited me on his show, and it was about a three-hour radio show, to talk about my book and why I'm not an atheist. Well, when he invited me, I said, are you sure you're okay with doing this? You're okay with me coming onto your show to attack atheism and you defend it? He said, yeah. I said, okay, let's do it. Uh, I said, but, and David, David uh, helped me organize. I said, you know, tell him to give you a copy of the show afterwards, just in case. I said, okay. Well, we did the show. I think it went great. I think it went incredible. And then about, what, 30 days later, he took it off his website. Well, because we asked for a copy, we have it and you can get it back there. Um, Incredible show. I, don't, uh, I won't have the time to go into it, but in a nutshell, one of my arguments against atheism is that if you can't trust the thoughts of your brain, why? Because your brain is not designed to obtain truth. You get a magic eight ball and you shake it. Is it going to rain today? It may say yes or no, but it was not a mechanism designed to obtain truth. So whatever it says, you have no reason to trust it. So if atheism is true and your brain was not designed to obtain truth, then your brain is nothing more than a glorified magic eight ball. What's the difference between that brain and a magic eight ball? Well, I can tell you one, if you look on the bottom of the magic eight ball, it says made in China, the, your brain wasn't. Um, I did a debate on the soul. Uh, how much time do I have? Okay, I'll take a few more minutes. Um, debate on the soul really quick with Matt Dillahunty, uh, a well-known atheist in Austin, has on TV show. We debated the existence of the soul. What's interesting about this debate, why would anybody care? Um, before, the, before the debate happened, he went on his uh, program and he said, I'm really looking forward to this debate. He had a, a, a TV show. And he said, I'm look, looking forward to it for this reason. He said, Paul said that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. So the Bible teaches to prove Christianity wrong, you simply have to show that the resurrection did not happen. And he says, but you can do it another way. If you show there is no soul, then in principle there can be no resurrection. If there's no soul, Christianity is false. And I'm thinking he gets it. An atheist gets it. I have, I have a hard time getting Christians to like my Facebook page. This guy gets it. He's an atheist. Now, just to just kind of wet your feet really quick, uh, one of the arguments for the existence of the soul is consciousness. Let me ask you this. Uh, what part of your body thinks? Can you point to it? Anybody? Okay. Now, it was a trick question, admittedly. Forgive me. Pray for me. But I would say, no, your brain does not think. Now, we're taught that, right? We're taught your brain thinks. But let me ask you a question. Does God think? Yeah. Does he have a brain? Huh. So how does he think? Are you a soul or are you a brain and body? Do animals have souls? Well, no. Why? Well, because, you know, evolution, that's where they came from. Well, actually, the Bible says in Genesis, God created a nefesh, a soul, living creatures. Uh, I won't, I, I'm going to refrain from going into the arguments for the soul, but I, there's lots of great ones. Basically, your brain, your soul is not your brain, consciousness is not physical. Why? Because if two things are the same, then they have to have the same properties. Well, we know that they don't. Why? Because my brain can weigh three pounds, but my thought that today is Saturday doesn't weigh three pounds. My brain can be seven inches long, but the smell of a rose, which is in my mind, is not seven inches long. Therefore, my brain is not my mind. My mind is not physical. It's in my soul. One, a few more things. I did a debate on abortion. Has anybody ever uh, engaged in abortion debates with someone? Anyone? A few people. Uh, it was actually at David's college that he attends. He organized it and got in really bad trouble for it. They slapped him on the wrist, but then he took him to court and sued him, and he won. Um, for the glory of God, of course. You've got to say that to sound spiritual. Um, did a debate against a feminist lawyer who has an organization that if you cannot afford an abortion, her organization will pay for it. I think it went terrific. Uh, I thought she wanted to abort after a few minutes of the debate. Um, it, it, it got kind of bad to the point to where the school said, we don't like what you did, you're no longer a campus. And he said, you can't do that, I have my rights to do that. I said, no, you can't, took him to court to sue them. I'll give you one quick, one quick highlight, one of my favorites. So in the cross-examination, I was going over some of the things she had said, and I said, okay, so you said, um, you said that we should respect a woman's decision to have an abortion no matter what, yes. And we shouldn't judge them, yeah. Even if we disagree with their decision, we let them, yes. We support them, yes. I said, okay. And you mentioned earlier about equal rights for everybody, yeah. Men, women, homosexuals, yes. I said, okay. The quick question. Suppose a woman comes up to you because, you know, she pays for your abortion if you can't afford it, 
And she's a religious woman. And she says, you know, um, I just found out my baby is going to be, you know, a boy or girl. And let's suppose we had the technology to not only know the baby's sex, but the baby's sexual orientation. And this lady says, I just found out I'm going to have a boy or girl and it's going to be gay. You know, I don't want a gay baby in the house. I don't want to deal with that. Can you abort it? Can you kill it for me? I said, what do you do? I said, do you say yes? Because if you say yes, then you are okay with killing homosexuals because they're gay. If you say no, then you're not respecting a woman's decision to have an abortion. You're judging her and you're not pro-choice. Are you still pro-choice in this instance, yes or no? Boy, she laughed and sweated and she took it and she's like, well, that, doesn't, that technology doesn't exist. And people laughed and said, okay, sure. It's a hypothetical, but it doesn't exist. But let's say she believes it. It's her choice. It's her decision. It's her beliefs. Are you pro-choice? Basically what happens is she's like, can we move on to the next question? That happened quite a few times. Um, anything else, please come up to me, uh, talk to me. You're more than welcome to. I would love to engage with you. And one or two questions maybe. Anybody? Questions on anything we talked about? It was either that good and, and exhaustive or it was completely opposite. Either way, I appreciate you guys' time. Thank you so much.